a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, fine folk. You are listening to episode 141 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring the goat, the goat of supercars. We love a goat on this podcast. Not many goats around. They are few and far between. This man is a goat. Jamie Winkup. Only seven drivers have won four or more Bathurst Championships. Today, Jamie Winkup joins the greats. He gets his fourth. Paul Dungrell gets his first. Four Bathursts, and quite possibly still counting, seven championships, 500-plus races, over 120 wins, near on 100 pole positions. Jamie has been an irresistible force in supercars for well over a decade. But as we discussed at the start of this episode, apart from what he does for a living, not many people know too much about Jamie Winkup, and that's the way he likes it. But now that he's giving up a full-time drive and going into management, he's opening the door up just a little more, releasing a cracking book called Drive of a Lifetime. It comes out on November 30. You can pre-order it right now, though, on Booktopia or wherever you get your books. Get that sucker in your hands. Drive of a Lifetime. So you search and try to find but you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by Now when anyone achieves tremendous success in their field It's hard to cast your mind back to a time when they weren't a star Jamie, as you're about to hear wasn't always a star, but he always kept the faith, even when others didn't. Something in that, I reckon. Enjoy the ride with a man who doesn't talk it up, who doesn't embrace hype, who doesn't get involved in self-promotion, but who does get it done like no one before him, Jamie Winkup. So when you search and then you find and know just where to go and thoughts that once used to cloud your mind you see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I. Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Wow, this man. Welcome to the Howie Games. A seven-time V8 Supercar champion, four-time Bathurst winner, soon to step away and become a big boss manager as well, which we'll get to. Jamie Winkup, great to see you, J-Dub. How are you going? Yeah, thanks, Howie. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. Mate, there is so much to get through. Drive of a Lifetime is the book which we'll touch on. But right from the start, mate, I had Elise Perry on this show, I don't know, 40 or 50 episodes ago. Now, Elise Perry is the female version of Jamie Wincup. Never talks about herself, incredibly <laughs> modest and uncomfortable talking about herself. And I said to her, Pej, you're going to have to talk about yourself. She said, I don't know how I'll go. And to me, mate, in many ways, that's you. You're not a man. You're a man that likes his driving to do the talking. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I, um, if I, I, I follow most sports and look at uh, most other athletes and the ones that I take a liking to are the Ones that uh, they, they work bloody hard behind the scenes and then they come in, do the damage and take the trophy and go home. You know what I mean? There's no no hassle. They're not trying to uh, be in the headlines. They're not too over-opinionated. They just come in and do, do, do the job. So uh, I see that, the athletes I look at, I see that as quality. So I try to try to get as much of that into myself as possible. So how are you going to go talking about yourself for an hour and a half in glowing terms then? Oh, it's, it's, mate, you're, it's, 
you've, you've created a nice relaxed atmosphere here. So, um, yeah, let's just uh, let's just have a chat, chew the fat, and see, see where we go. Yeah, spot on, mate. As I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Drive of a Lifetime is the book. What was the experience for you, again, on the fact that you're a man that that, that separates your public and your private life? How, did you enjoy writing the book? And congratulations, I read it the last couple of days. I enjoyed it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Thank you. Thank you. I did um, I did enjoy the journey of writing a book. Um, it, was a, it was a much bigger task than I anticipated. Um, I always wanted to write a book. I wanted to write it. Uh, I wanted to start writing it towards the end of my career, but then bring it out right at the end um, as, a, as an autobiography. So my journey from starting off in the sport right until now. Um, it's, but it was a it was a massive task. Even the the, the publishers said, "Oh, mate, you know, just um, because I did it, I used a ghostwriter. Just you know, just just hang out with the ghostwriter and have a bit of a yarn to him over a couple of days, and um, that should be it." But um, I sort of, I wanted to make sure it was, I wanted to make sure I owned it. You know, I just didn't want to produce a book um, that, that told, told a story. I wanted to, I wanted to really add some, add some substance to it. And I, I really want to make sure that everyone that did read it, either one, they enjoy it, but two, they, they get something out of it. You know what I mean? They actually learned some aspect that they could potentially put into their own life. So uh, it was a massive task, but um, I'm glad, glad we got to the end. Um, and yeah, hope, as I say, hopefully people enjoy it. I think in it's similar in some ways to this podcast that it's content, but you're trying to deliver a message as you go, and and it's a really positive message that you do deliver. Right off the top, mate, I was saying to my darling wife yesterday, if you if you said to you know the population, have you heard the name Jamie Winkup? I reckon. I reckon 85% of the Australian population would say, yeah, I've heard of that bloke. He races cars and then the fans would know more about him. And then if I said to them, tell me something about Jamie Winkup off track that you know, I reckon we're down to 10%. Like it, it, that, that, that's, is that a conscious thing you have done? Are you a private person? Like, oh, mate, I, I've interviewed you a thousand times at the racetrack. I know that you race a car and that you're good mates with Will Davison as a young bloke and still are and like to ride a jet ski. And to be honest, mate, that's about all I know of Jamie Winkup. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess I don't want to bore people with my day-to-day life, you know. I, hey, I think it's interesting and I love... I, I get involved in most sports, you know. Love, love, love kicking the footy. Love getting out on the water. Um, love, love going for a bushwalk. Love my mountain bike. Like, I love. I, I try to maximise this 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 amazing world and this amazing country we live in. But I don't want to bore people with uh, with what I'm having for breakfast. And you know, I've gone gone for a run or gone for a mountain bike. I don't think that. I don't think that's interesting, you know. Um, but I certainly want to. I certainly want to bring as many people along the motorsport journey as I possibly can. So that's sort of been my focus. It's not really a, it's not really a secret, so to speak, what I do in my personal life. But I just, I just don't see a need for um, the public. It's, it's, it's not, not, not really that interesting. You know, I get that, uh, and and we won't. You know, I'm not going to push you on your, your your personal life at all, Jamie. But I, uh, I was told that you are having a baby, mate. So. Congratulations! You're going to be a father. How are you feeling? Well done. Congratulations! It's a it's a big time. It's a massive time. It's a big deal. Hundred percent. It's a big deal. Um, I'm I'm actually really pumped about it. To be honest, I I've been putting it off as long as I possibly can. I'm I'm one of those people that I reckon I was 30, 32. Like I'm I'm no way I'm having kids. That's not for me. It's not for me. But it's only been the last couple of years where I've thought, oh, you know what? It would actually be. Actually, you change as a human, you know, you get older and you mature and you change. And I 
the last couple of years I've been thinking, hey, this is a this is a possibility. You know, I I'd love to be you know when I'm older in life, I'd love to have a have a child. Um, so yeah, the last so that yeah, the last couple of years it's been on the on the agenda. Um, you're not guaranteed a child. You know, it's it, it, um, partners pregnant, twenty six weeks pregnant, which is fantastic, but you're still not guaranteed yes. until the the, the 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 baby's delivered. So. Um, uh, yeah, we're very, very grateful to be at this position now, have the opportunity, um, and hopefully um, she can deliver a, a baby early early February and um, I can go on the, the, the dad journey. Fingers crossed, mate. Have you been down to have you to have you done the baby bunting, looking at cots and prams and stuff yet? Which, yeah. well, she's a tough caper. That <laughs> to be to be honest, that set me back. I was like, gee, if this is what it's about, I'm not sure I'm that keen. But it got better yeah. after that. Yeah, hundred percent. I rolled in and you just look around and go, what is going on here? You know, I'm looking at the prams, trying to engineer, you know, which one's got the best suspension and which one's going to track the straightest. But um, yeah, no, it's another world. But I'm actually not doing too much research, believe it or not. Like my partners, you, hey, you need all the all the essentials, you know what I mean? You need to make sure you know what you're doing in some regard. But I yep. just wanna I wanna experience it. You know, I wanna I'm gonna be be presented a problem in front of me and then have to have to work it out and fix it. So I'm I'm more uh, worried about it afterwards. Presented a problem. Can I just tell you from experience, <laughs> you are going to be presented with more than a problem and some that you might not be able to analyse or engineer your way through the way you're talking about it, Jamie. I know, I know, I know. I'm going to be, and I'm going to be a fish out of water, but um, no, I'm actually looking forward to the challenge. And as always, Brilliant. you timed your run perfectly because they do say, mate, there's that famous motor racing saying that for every child you lose one-tenth or, or half a second on track. So you've uh, you've done it, you've planned it perfectly because you, you're stepping away and the child is coming so you won't lose that tenth. Yeah, thank you. I've been as selfish as I possibly can, you know, <laughs> worrying about my own life and, and my own career this whole time and I've pushed it back as late as I possibly could but it's uh, it's now or never. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, the timing, the timing, the timing's never perfect but if, if, um, if it can, it's as perfect as it can be. Yeah, finish up at the end of this year and then baby, uh, baby a, a month or so away. Brilliant, mate. Um, I've already compared you to Elise Perry. Now I'm going to compare you to Kelly Slater, the 11-time world surfing champion. Because when he was on the show, I found myself having to research. So you know what you're doing and you, what you're talking about, Jamie. There's 11 world titles to research. And I remember thinking, geez, I, I can't just go so. In, in X year you won this one and then you won that one. And it's the same with you, mate. And I, I spent four and a half hours yesterday away from reading the book, making pages of notes. So I am across <laughs> statistically what you've done, mate. There, there is a lot to get through. Seven titles, four Bathists. Little Jack Perkins, I said, what am I going to ask my man Jamie Winkup? And he said, ask him how he feels about being called the GOAT. So I'm going with it right off the top. <laughs> Statistically, mate, you are the best driver in the history of the sport. How does that fit when you are introduced as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jamie Winkup? Hmm. I don't know how it sits, but um, I don't, don't, mind the, don't mind the phrase. Oh, it's uh, a good one. Um, if you get yeah, it's, it's a good, it's 100% a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, 100%. So, no, I certainly don't mind it, but... Um, yeah, hey, I'm I'm at the end of my career, so I've I've had a fantastic run, and um, of course we all know we all know it's a team sport. You know, it's most of the time it's in, it's it's sometimes it's embarrassing standing on the top step, looking like you're the lone ranger. You know, you, I've mm. got here by myself, and I'm on the top step, and it's all about me. But it's uh, as I said, sometimes it's embarrassing knowing that there's hundreds of people behind the scenes 
Uh, most of them will be down down below the podium, but then there's another you know, 50 or so people back at the workshop um, who are all being part of, of me having the opportunity to stand on the top step of the podium, you know. So um, the driver, yeah, the driver gets, they get, they get paraded, they get publicised, but um, really it's a, it's a massive team sport. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, I've, I've had a fantastic run. I've had some fantastic equipment. I've been able to get some fantastic people around me um, and had a good run. But, you know, I'm, I hope hopefully the next generation, hopefully the next young kid comes through and beats every record that, um, that, that I've got. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's evolution. And I, I don't agree with people saying, oh, you know, seven titles, that will never get broken. Well, it, of course it will get broken. I just, I've just done seven, so you know, it's yeah. easy for somebody to do eight. You know, so um, yeah, it's it's good. I'm I'm really happy. I'm 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 hang, I'm finishing this year on my own terms, which is great. And I'm also uh, I'm also happy of what we've been able to achieve in our journey. And uh, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm hopefully somebody else comes along and, um, and beats everyone. As we're doing this, you're in the midst of a crazy period. You know, up in Sydney, you're racing pretty much every weekend. You're coming up to Bathurst. By the way, I, I just want to tell you that Lounsey came on this show the week before Bathurst we put it out. He won. Scotty McLaughlin came on the show the week before Bathurst. He came on and he won. So oh, I'm not putting any extra pressure on you for number five, <laughs> but I, I'm going for the hat trick here, Jim Bob, and I don't need you cocking it up. Okay, okay. I'll be having a crack. Don't worry about that. It'll be my last full-time drive, so nothing will be left on the table. Fantastic. So as I say, you're in the midst of the maelstrom at the moment and you're battling away at the front of the grid. Have you had a chance to reflect, and we'll get where this started in a moment, but have you had a chance to reflect? You must be... Tremendously satisfied, Jamie. I know you talked about the team and you've had teams along the way that have helped you get there, but, gee, you must be satisfied with the impact you've had on the sport, the positive impact you've had on the sport, not only as a winner but as someone that's carried themselves. Like I, I don't have a story in my head on the back page with a negative Jamie Win Cup headline. Yeah, for sure. For sure I'm proud of what I've, I've been able to achieve. Um it hasn't been all perfect, you know. There's been a few things I've regretted. I've had to go at the officials at some stage, you know. I've I've said some silly things, and um, certainly early in my career as well, I was I was sort of easily hated as well. Like I didn't do myself any favors. I was a young kid, didn't care about it. I just wanted to go in there, race the car, and get out of there, you know. Um, so, but you know, and in some way, I regret some of those the, the way I handled myself in the public on the, in the early days. But um, I'd like to think I've been able to make amends of that in the in the you know the last four or five years, and um, and just try to try try to push the sport as much as I can. You know, all all sports. Um, you know, there's plenty of people involved in sport, and they've all got different. Um, they've all got they've all got different ambitions, I suppose, and and. Um, you know, different things I want to get out of the sport, but for me, I want to grow the sport. I want to put it uh, put it up on a pedestal um, and compete with any other sport in the country and show how good motorsport is. And um, um, I'm thankful I've been able to, to have the opportunity to do it the last couple of years. What would you change, mate, from those early days? I certainly, you know, you'd started before I was back doing it on Channel 10, but I, I certainly never remembered any negativity around you. But what, you're a, a, a bit short or, like, what do you, what do you regret? There was, there's, you know, to, to get to the top of any sport, you've got to have some sort of arrogance, you know. And I don't, I don't regret, I don't regret being a little bit arrogant on the way. Like it was, it wasn't a, it was a performance thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't me personally, but it was a performance thing that I, I went, I had to believe that I was better than anybody else. And 
um, you, you talk to, you, you read about all the top athletes in the world and they've all got this massive belief um, that they can be better than anyone. They, they can outdo anyone on any given mm. day. Um, and, you know, I, I had to have that as well. But you don't need to, I'm sure, I'm sure Roger Federer's got that as well, but he doesn't need to make that obvious on the, uh, when, he's, when he's interviewed post-match, you know. So um, you, you, you learn and you mature. I don't, I'm not, I don't regret anything, to be honest. There's nothing that I look back on and go, oh, gee, I regret that. But um, there's a plenty of things I look back on and go, hey, I could have done that better. I've learned from that experience and been able to, able to grow myself. And how have you maintained relationships? Like, especially if you look at motorsport, well, any sport really, the, the top dog is often spoken about negatively by their peers. Kelly Slater, the other surfers got stuck into him because ostensibly, Jamie, he beat them all the time. Schumacher was the same. The other drivers never had a nice word to say about Schumacher. Even Lewis now, there's there's a lot of negativity surrounding Lewis because he's beaten those guys constantly. It can be a pretty feisty sport from what I've seen in a really political sport via supercars. How have you dealt with the fact that being the number one for so many years does it make it difficult to have good positive relationships with those drivers and people around you? Yeah, the drivers have been great. Like we, unlike unlike footy, say you say you, you you meet a team one week and then you won't see them for I don't know fourteen, fifteen weeks. I'm not not sure of the numbers, yep. but you don't see them for a long time, you know. But we're on the track in a normal circumstance every three weeks, you know. So if you if you touch someone the wrong way. And generally, your pace, you know, you're around a certain area, whether your car's really good that year and you're up the front or you're mid-pack or the back, it doesn't matter. You're generally around the same people all the time. So if you fix somebody up, then, yeah, they, you're going to get it back three weeks later. So there's there's almost a bit of respect that goes on between the drivers. Plus, we're all doing 300K. If mm. you don't respect each other, um, you know, people are going to die. So you, you've really got to make sure that there's that that that. You, it's dog eat dog. You want to beat everyone, but there's that respect as well that, hey, we can we can hurt ourselves here. So um, the drivers have been great. I'm not one. I'm not mates with all the drivers. You know, there's, there's, um, there's, there's a few guys that are, just want to be mates with everyone. But, no, I'm I'm a competitor. You know, I'm I'm there to, to race and to try to be the best I can. So certainly got massive respect. I'd like to think no one's got more respect to, uh, on their opposition than I do. But I'm not there to be their mates or, or to, you know, yeah. hang, hang out and have a good time. I'm, we're, we're there to compete, you know. Um, so, yeah, but the drivers have been fantastic. But um, there's, yeah, a, the tall poppy syndrome here in this country is it's alive and well. You know, it's, uh, Aussies hate. Um, we, we, we love smashing down the the people, that, especially sports people or even politicians, people that are getting out there having a go and exposing themselves. They're basically exposing themselves because they, they're trying to make themselves better. They're putting themselves in the public eye, putting themselves in, in situations where they're, they're trying to go better. And we love, as soon as somebody is having a crack and they don't quite get it right, we just love smashing them down, you know. So that's part of our, that's part of our, our makeup. That's part of being Australian and you've just, that, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a, a much discussed theme on this podcast. I normally leave it up to the guests to talk, Jamie, but I've been pretty strong on this throughout the whole podcast that it's something I don't understand. Like I, I love the American culture in what we're talking about, that they want people to succeed and they want their athletes to succeed and they pump them up. How have you dealt with negativity coming your way? I know you're not massive on social media, but I'm, I'm sure you're still, you know, you still cop it at times. How have you dealt with negativity in your world, mate? Um 
yeah, the good thing is I, do, I don't get involved too much with social media. I'm certainly on social media and I'm, I'm aware of what – you've got to be aware of what's going on so you have a constant scroll every now and again. But I'm not actively on it all the time, you know. I just uh, – I'm, I'm just trying to – go out and do things and, and better myself more than um more than more than have a look at it online but social i'm not negative on social media you know that's it's all part of it's all part of life it's been a fantastic tool mm. to be able to bring as many fans along on the journey as we can like i've got a half a million dollar race car and we go we go all over the country just competing and we've got some we've got some of the best toys in the garage you could think of so i want to instead of us just enjoying it i want to try to bring as many people along on the ride as, as as i possibly can now just before we get stuck at the start of the journey i don't know if you're going to remember this but this <laughs> is one of my favorite moments in v8 supercars in my time covering i think i spoke about it with lounsey on the episode but i can't remember i was tasked with doing a story i think it was at, at clipsal with Red Bull drivers, Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes. And they were some deal, I reckon it was Domino's, Jamie, yes. to, uh, deliver, to, to deliver pizzas, right? I know exactly where you're going. Yeah, get, yeah keep going. So you and Lowndes and I go out and entrants have sent it in and all of a sudden up rolls at the door, Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes and they're with the Domino's car, they're delivering a pizza and there's old mate from Channel 10 Howie with his cameraman and we're filming proceedings. Can 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 you recall what the situation was with one of the punters, Jamie? I remember it clearly. I remember, as you say, we had a Domino's as our sponsor and, and we were doing, we were deliver, hand delivering pizzas. So we go downtown South Australia. I don't know what where we were at, but it was downtown and the door opened. They saw the cameras and the door shut pretty quickly. <laughs> Who knows what was flushed down the toilet in that one minute while they were getting ready. And then op- the door comes open again and, hi, guys, we've got, a, we've got, got some pizzas for you. Um, anyway, I, 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 th- I thought we were okay then, but then once I looked down and saw the, lo- the locator tag around the ankle, I thought, <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> I just, get, I just, get in the cast, guys. We're out. I just remember saying to old mate because I saw you and Lounsey looking at something, <laughs> and I didn't pick it up because I was focused on the shot. And I remember thinking, Jada, so this guy has one of those uh, bracelets on where he can't mm. leave his home yeah. due to a criminal situation. <laughs> and I remember thinking it's too dark to get the shot of this bloke. So I said, mate, can you just move out the front a bit so we can get a bit more light? And he said, well, I can't leave my front door. Yeah. And I've asked him why and you and Lowndes started laughing because you knew he had the bracelet on and I didn't realise you had the bracelet on, Jamie. <laughs> cut it off. Let's get out of here before cut, we get shot. Cut. That's right. I need, I need to get that story from Channel 10 at some point. Mate, where, where, I'm glad you recall that. Where did it start? Right. What was the first thing you drove, Jim? Oh... Yeah, it was a go kart. So my my uncle was um, he raced sports sedans. So he had a, a big a big Larry Red Chevy Monza and used to go around the circuit. And my father my father was involved as well. He was his mechanic, and they used to work with Alan Moffat. And so they were involved in motorsport. And then when I turned seven years old, they thought we'll get we'll get Jack. I was a bit of a lost kid when I was when I was growing up. I didn't really have an interest, or I used to do a bit of everything, but I never actually had a proper interest. So they decided to give me an interest, and um, and that was go go karting. So yeah, it was just the usual. It's come around to uncle's uncle's place one night. Just we're going around there for dinner, and then we went out to the garage, and there was a nice shiny red go kart. Oh. And uh, and there it was. I was I was a bit. I was seven years old, so I was, I was a bit 
bit shocked in a way. It wasn't wasn't. It was like what's what's going on here, and I couldn't actually fathom that it was uh, it was my go kart. But that's where the that's where the journey started, and it was literally something to to fill in the weekends. That's all we're trying to do is just give me an interest, something to go go to the go kart track on a Saturday or a Sunday and cut some laps and have a bit of fun. But um, the fun started to get serious, and then um, then eventually became a profession. At what stage did it get serious? And we'll get to the cost because motorsport is not uh, not a cheap sport at all. But at what stage did you start to think, right, like were you, I often ask this question, I always phrase it the same way, were you Ricky Ponting that right from the start you were always going to succeed or were you a, and he gives me a hard time for saying this, but I said anyway, or were you a Justin Langer that really worked and worked and gradually improved? Yeah, no, I had to I had to work on it. My first day out, I think I went through seven or eight spark plugs, so I was going that slow in this two-stroke go-kart that the, the, the plug would be fouled up so it wouldn't start the next time. So I just thought that was part of go-kart. I'm like, why do you have to put a new spark plug in every time you go out? You know? Little did I know I was just fouling the thing up. So, um, yeah, Dad would come out, just get all the oil out of the engine, put a new spark plug in and off we go again. So I was literally in idle for a couple of days. So um, he was he, he was a bit concerned. He's like, what what have we he, – uh, he, he recalls saying to my uncle, what, what have we got ourselves into here? You know, this is, this is never going to work but um if i talk to my current boss he's like mate you've you've got your skill from just going hard you, you you've had to really work hard for it it hasn't hasn't come naturally um so yeah i've yeah i'm probably justin langer i had to had to work hard for it at what stage do you start to say and i, I know your, your dad's a massive part of your journey at what stage do you start to think okay is this more important to me than school and how am I balancing that up and can I make a potential career out of this? Because motorsport is something that I've learned from working in it that you need some tremendous support and that support normally comes from a member or the whole family. For sure. I never I never thought that I'd ever make a profession out of it, certainly not in the younger years. I, When I was go-karting, I thought I was going to – I didn't think about it, but I just I was just focused on the next weekend, you know, and that's – that's something that I've um, that I felt has been a benefit. I was just focused on the next weekend. I never did any long term planning, or I never I wasn't a kid at home racing carts, going I want to be a supercar driver, I want to be a Formula One driver. It was just I just can't wait to get to the to the track on this this weekend and do the best I can. Coming now down to take the checkered flag, racing down here. Number seventy four, Jason Dixon. Number seven, Scott Miller. Number sixteen, Shay Becker. And number ninety, Jamie Winkup. Well, Jamie made up a lot of ground, but it gave him far too much start in the early part of the race and made up the ground and just shows the potential of what that young uh, Jamie Winkup's got. He's a good driver, had a brilliant year so far, and uh, a great race in that rookies event. Uh, that we've just seen. And because I just did the best I could with what was in front of me and just made the most of the situation there, it, I, I slowly kept moving forward. So in some way, getting a bit of track in some way I go to schools and and it's okay to, you, you've got to have a dream and you've got to dream big, but I, I cringe a little bit when I hear kids go, I want to be here, you know, I want to, and they're mm. setting the bar so high from the start and I can't help I can't help myself but say, hey guys, just focus on what what's achievable this year. You know what I mean? What can we? What? How can you get the most out of yourself right now? And just 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 focus mainly on that. And of course, yeah, it's okay to have the big goal there, but don't don't put too much focus on it. So I was always going to be a go kart driver for from old career until the same scenario happened 
10, 15 years, 10 years later where I went to the same dinner at my uncle's place but all of a sudden there was a red Formula Ford there, you know. Hmm. So, oh, hang on, I'm not going to go karting anymore. We're going to go Formula Ford racing. Plenty of Formula Fords for this one. Let's have a look how they start on the grid. Will Power has got the jump on the new champion, Will Davison. And they'll start off the front row of the grid. Nick Aglin and Jamie Wincup out of row two. Stuart Costera and Ty Hanger start out of row three. Daniel Elliott and Darren Drake out of row And two. I remember saying to my good mate Paul Dumbrow when we were, I think we are racing Formula Ford, we said, imagine a life, imagine a life where you could actually earn a living out of racing a car. Imagine getting $30,000 a year to race a race car full time. And we were just, that just blew our minds, you know. It'll be three wide across the top here, I reckon, guys. Winkup trying to squeeze down the middle as well. So who's going to give here? Winkup's got a great run. He's going to move up into second position unless Marshall can get him under brakes here. But no, Winkup will take it. Wow, that's great stuff from Winkup. The 18-year-old is doing a terrific job. Really has come on strong in season 2001. So, of course, we were sort of aiming for that, but thought it, was, it wasn't possible. And then one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden this was my full-time profession, and I was, I've earned, a, um, I've earned a, a crazy good living out of, um, out of, out of my hobby, which I'm, which I'm so grateful for. So how have you survived the last 15 years on $30,000 a year as yeah. a supercar guy? That's, that's extraordinary, really, Jamie. Yeah, well, well I've started, I started on, on basically drive for free and then I moved through the ranks and then I did a deal with my current team actually literally on on apprenticeship wages for three years and then full credit to the boss after the in the second year I almost won the championship come second to Garth Tander by two points and he said mate I think you should be on sort of on reasonable money or at least 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 at the at the right level to the rest Good. of the field Good. so um he come to the party so yeah mate, I've been it's, it's a tough one I, I would you know, and I think most athletes would say the same thing. You would do it for free. You know, if if, if you had to do it for free, you would do it for free. But um, but the, the commercial reality of it is, yeah, you get paid market rate, and market rate is for sport, certainly in this country, is very very high. So that's just the way it is. Yeah, and so it should be. You know, you're putting your your career and your life on the line. Let's be honest. Every time every time you go to work, which most of us aren't. Tell me, I, I read um, with interest in your book, Drive a Lifetime. Uh, financial sacrifices made by your family. You, you wrote about a story about uh, someone, whether it was your dad, I think it was your dad said, right, we've got to ease up on the use of the shampoo, yeah. uh, like uh, to that point. And this is the type of thing that young motor racers need, whether they be boys or girls, they need that because it is an expensive sport, Jamie. Yeah, it is an expensive sport. My dad always said, I wish you took up footy. I would have brought, you know, would have been cheaper to buy a new, <laughs> new set of footy boots every match um, compared to racing carts. But we weren't, um, you know, mum and dad certainly weren't a wealthy family, but they, they ran their own business, a small printing press in Preston. Uh, and most of the, the family money went into, into my go-kart racing, somewhat to the disgust of my sister. Mm. You know, she went, um, she, she, she did calisthenics all through her, her teenage years and mum, mum would sew all the, the dresses and all the equipment up. So, uh, it was actually quite a cheap sport where, and then, um, yeah, it was one one night at dinner. You know, Dad was feeling the pinch. The business wasn't going as well as possible, but we were still. I still had brand new tyres on the go kart every every weekend. You know, <laughs> and um, he suggested to my sister that she should probably tone back on the shampoo um, because you know we've got to we've got to, we've got to watch the pennies. And uh, she just she she she's quite she was quite quiet, but she decided to tell Dad that. It was, uh, you know, what it took to uh, to maintain longer hair compared to his short hair, you know. So he, she, uh, she let him have it. <laughs> Back to Jamie in a tick. Okay, special announcement time. 
With the Ashes about to start, the Howie Games is going cricket-crazy. Yeah! The next four weeks, yeah, we will be dropping weekly episodes. You will hear from four genuine stars of cricket. More details to come next week, but it is a super-duper Howie Games Ashes extravaganza. Oh, he's hit this one, Miles. Great shot. Oh, it's a biggie. Now, talking about biggies, the whole operation kicks off with a biggie. Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson, I say. More wickets than any other pace bowler in the history of cricket. This is a pretty big deal for the Howie Games. If you're English, you already love Jimmy. You love him. If you're an Aussie, I reckon you will too after this episode. I know it's a big call, but I reckon you will. Now, after a very late call-up, Jimmy actually made his international cricket debut against Australia in a one-dayer at the mighty MCG. So factoring in that I had to open the bowling against Gilchrist and Hayden, which was awful. Um, I had to then field on the boundary without a name on my shirt in front of Bay 13. Oh, you didn't have a name? That, that, that's how late you came to the... Not a name on your shirt. Didn't have a name on my shirt, no. Because um, <laughs> I don't think they were expecting me to play either. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened that game... Yep. So we were batting under lights and Brett Lee was steaming him. And the, back then we just used one ball, so it got really dark and, and dirty by the, <laughs> by the end. So I'm under lights, the MCG, with this dirty ball trying to face Brett Lee at 90 miles an hour. Um, and I was wearing, we used to have this short leg helmet, so I didn't even have a helmet at that point. <laughs> so we had this sh- special short leg helmet that's got an extra like bar that comes under the chin to protect you. So I was wearing this stupid fielding helmet without a name on my back. Oh, I was just, yeah. But like I say, there's some positives in there. <laughs> that is Jimmy Anderson kicking off our Ashes extravaganza Woo-hoo! next week on the podcast. All right, let's get back to J-Dub. Mate, now I'm going to refer to my notes. Okay, you made your debut in 2002 at the Queensland Raceway Enduro, a co-drive with Max Dumini. Yeah, Dumsney. Yeah, Dumsney. Ah, see, your notes help you, but it doesn't help you on pronunciation. <laughs> Anthony Trapp and Paul Stokehill in the car number 75. Jamie Winkup and Max Dumsney have the uh, drive in car number 35, the other one out of the Gary Rogers Motorsport crew. We will have 35 cars to start this race. But then the next round, Bathurst with Mark Noski. What was your first race around Bathurst-like in a V8 supercar. It's all ahead. 161 laps, 1,000 kilometres, 38 cars, 20 Fords, 18 Holdens, side-by-side, Scaife and Bradley Jones. We are ready for a race start. They bring the final cars into position now. Let the battle begin as we get the green light on the great race. The power builds up in the Bob Chain team. It was hanging on. It was literally hanging on. I I got in this supercar and it, it was fast. Like this sheer acceleration and power was it was fast, you know. So you know how you you know how you hear athletes talk about they're in front of the game or behind yep. behind the game, you know, things are, are happening a little bit too quick, or they're in unbelievable form where everything's like it's in slow-mo. So my first event was everything was happening fast. I felt sort of behind the car. I was that the car was off and I was sort of gathering it up 
after it was happening um, rather than what I should be doing is, is absolutely in front of the car and, and almost correcting the car before it even started to slide. So it was literally hang on and do the best you can. And um, I was doing a good job. Like I was, I, I was certainly enjoying it and doing a good job, but um, fitness was huge. Was and it? Yeah, fitness is fitness is massive, and you, you get a lot of you get a lot of match fitness. The, the more you do, which helps out. But if you don't have any match fitness when you're new, you've got to actually be real physically fit and strong to be able to just muscle this car around. And and I didn't have the fitness, so I I reckon I got about 25 laps into my first stint, and uh, I was hot, fatigued, made a mistake, and um, unfortunately ended up in the wall at the top of Mount Straight. You talk about fitness. It always really interests me in the sport. So, again, with you and your competitors, I think I stopped following a few supercar drivers working in it because all I saw on social media was blokes riding 190 kilometres on their bike in their Lycra <laughs> and, and then doing, you know, 15 uh, sweat classes and then lifting 400-pound <laughs> bench presses and then yeah. sort of, you know, going for a run to finish the day. I've never seen you send out anything on social media about what you're doing fitness-wise. How? What? What's the importance apart from being race fit from the car? How have you stayed fit, and what do you need fitness wise to be a supercar champ? Yeah, I was. I'm similar to you. I, I couldn't couldn't cop seeing another <laughs> uh, another bike going for a run or someone eating a bowl of muesli or some eggs and avo on toast. You know, so uh, yeah, I, I I looked at that and thought, no, I don't need to. I don't need to add to that uh, that already drama. But um, no, the, the car physical. The car's physical. You know, it's not. Um, yeah, there's power assisted steering. Um, the brakes are fully mechanical though, but. It's a it's it's a it's a physical activity. So we'll race for over two hours, and just you're you're fighting the thing all the way around the track. You're pulling gears the whole time, on the brakes or on the throttle. Um, you can't underestimate the G-force as well. The G-force has quite a quite a decent factor. You're sort of almost holding your holding your core and holding your breath through each corner to to hold yourself up. So there's that. Um, plus the, the heat is a huge factor. You can add 25 degrees on the ambient temperature. So if you cop a 30 degree day, you're in the cabin temp's 55 degrees. Oof. Now, we've got a little bit of ambient temperature coming into the helmet, you know, so you're breathing in sort of an ambient. We've got a cool suit as well, which um, it's like a, it's like a refrigerated box where the passenger would normally sit and I run, run a t-shirt with all these little tubes that go up and down. So there's cool water that go over this t-shirt just to keep your core under control, but when, when it, it works. Is only when it works, exactly, but it's only just enough to keep you alive. If it's if it's working too good, then the engineers are like, "Well, that's we can we can cut chop that in half and save the weight," you know. <laughs> so they they literally build a system just enough to keep you alive, but not anymore, you know. So it's um plus the other factor is that you don't you don't consider is that the noise. You're just in a noise. You know, when you're in just a noisy environment for two hours, it starts to wear down on you. Mm. So. Add, add all, it's like having your mother-in-law in your ear for two hours, you know. You end up worn out. It's, a, it's, a, it's hard work. Be careful, so, Jamie. Be yeah. careful now. Be careful. <laughs> so add all, add all those factors up. You, um, yeah, it's a, it's a long old grind for two hours. But, um, yeah, the, the physical and, and how do you get through? There's no real proof on, on heat training or there's no real science behind any of that stuff. you just got to be you got to be physically fit. So have you been a runner? Have you been a cyclist? Have you been a swimmer? Have you lifted weights? Like what, what's your core 
fitness routine? And we're I, not putting this on Instagram now, Jamie. No, no, no. I've tried to do a bit of everything. So um, just, yeah, running. I love I love swimming, actually. Swimming, running, riding. Um, do a little bit of gym stuff, but um, I'm certainly um, – I'm certainly everyone – Everyone you meet, actually, in the pub, go, oh, gee, you're you're much smaller than what I than, than what you look on TV. You know, what are you, what are you trying to say? Do I need to go to the gym? Do I? Uh, but but yeah, a little, obviously, a little bit a little bit of gym work, but um, it's mainly long distance cardio stuff. Well, follow your progression. So after that uh, Bathurst, we're talking about 2002. You get a drive with uh, Gary Rogers in 2003. So at this point, you finish 27th in the championship, but at the end of the season. Do you get called into the boss's office? The, the great thing about this podcast, Jamie, is people learn listening to it that everybody that succeeds fails along the way and it's those that can deal with failure. You had a pretty rough introduction to the sport, I guess, end of 2003, mate, and this is a story I haven't heard. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it, it was rough, but look, looking back, yeah, it, it, it was it was what it was. So for anyone that doesn't know, I I, I got a, I got the I got a huge opportunity. Young kid straight out of Formula Ford, which is the category straight out of go karts, really. So you got go karts, Formula Ford, and then you've got you got Porsche Cup, you got the development series, you got all these other series in between, and then you've got V8, uh, supercars, which is the highest level of Australian motorsport. So I went straight from Formula Ford straight to supercars. Got a huge opportunity with Gary Rogers, and. I felt like I, I felt like I did the best I could with the with the scenario I was given. But at the end of that, I didn't even get to the end of the year. Gary called me to the office, you know, with a few rounds to go, and said, "Mate, um, we're gonna we're gonna part ways." You know, it's um, and and it come from a crash. I got teamed up with Garth Tander, who was the main driver that year. Got teamed up with him at Bathurst. I ended up uh, crashing the car. They're 22nd at the moment, and they still hold the lap record at two eight. 0.6726, so at least they'll go away with uh, some bragging rights from the pace that they've achieved. Always leaves you wondering what might have been, doesn't it? A bit of why that all happened is um, is, is in the book, but end up crashing the car, and then it was that day that he decided that I was going to get moved on. So unfortunately, I was the young kid that was given this opportunity that was seen not to make the most of the opportunity. So I was basically blacklisted from... Um, from, from the supercar grid and looking back I could have ha- I was just young and immature you know I didn't handle the situation with my with my team boss the, uh, the way I as well as I possibly could how did you I handle it re- it was it upsetting obviously oh well at the time I, I crashed the car at Bathurst I should have just gone up to, I should have gone up to the team boss and firstly apologized and explained the situation but instead I sat in the corner and you know felt almost acted like I was the victim but Anyway, I, I got, got through all that. He said, hey, we're, we're going to move you on at the end of the year. Um, and I held it together during the meeting, of course. I'm not one – I don't cry much. I, I, reckon, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've, I've cried a dozen times in my life, you know, but uh, that hit me hard. I, I w- went out to my car in the car park and, uh, yeah, sort of uh, teared up for, for, for 10 minutes mm. or so and, and, and got, it, got, got the shock and the frustration out of, um, hey, I, I, what am I going to do next? So what mm. did you do next? Uh, worked harder. So, you know, Dad always taught me that if you're if you're being pushed into a corner or you're in a situation you don't like, fight your way out. You know, work, work harder and fight fight your way out of the, out of the situation to make it better. So, um, I, I I'm not much of a salesman. You know, I don't I hate trying to sell myself. 
Um, Which is a big, I, a big part of your sport when you're a kid. Like, you, yep. if someone has to believe in you, you have to convince people in your caper, don't you? You do, you do. You have to, you have to sell yourself. Um, you don't have to be all upfront and arrogant about it, but you have to certainly try to try to sell yourself in some way. So I, yeah, I did the. It was tough, but ringing up the team owners and all I did was just started. I just need a test. I need to get in. I need to get an opportunity to get in someone's car and do two, even if it's two laps. I just need that opportunity to to. I, I, I had a, I had a lot of self belief. I knew I was, I knew I was good enough. It's, it's, I don't mm. think there was any stage in my career where I thought I wasn't good enough to do the job, or or I thought I could beat anybody else. Um, I had massive self belief, but I just needed that needed that opportunity. So I, I hunted for it, got got a got a couple laps in a car, and that led to something else, and led to something else, and then I eventually got back into the sport. Talking about getting back into the sport, so 2004 you drove the Enduros with Larry Perkins and then you got picked up in 2005 by Tasman Motorsport, which was probably run by Greg Murphy's father at the time, was it? Correct, yeah, yeah, Kevin okay. Murphy. Kevin, so I've got that right. So that year you finish 16th. So we talked about 27th. Now you've progressed to 16th, but you came second at Bathurst with uh, a man that holds such a dear place in V8 Supercars. He's no longer with us, Jace Richards. What did second at Bathurst mean in 2005 to a bloke trying to find his way into the into the caper? Scape, sensational in the Super Cheap Auto 1000. Scape and Kelly do it. Great job, lad. Your birthday, Todd. Happy birthday, Todd. There he is. And Jason Richards, his best ever result with Jamie Winkar. unbelievable, guys. Mate. Yeah, that was absolutely massive. So I, I've got the got this lifeline to get back into the sport with um, through uh, Greg Murphy's father, Kevin. Little did I know at the time that um, a certain team boss, Roland Dane, he was looking for a young, cheap kid that he could that could stay out of trouble all year and could team up with Lounsey to win Bathurst. He was he was on the hunt that year for 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 a young kid, and uh, for me to run second. Um, hand the car over to Jason in the lead with 30 laps to go. Um, that was that was a huge pivotal point for me to to get the opportunity with my current team. Bathurst obviously made such a big part of, of any V8 supercar driver's story. So 2006 now, we move to Triple Eight, where this time you come 10th in the championship. So you've gone 27th, you've gone 16th, you've gone 10th. You've won your very first V8 supercar race. Yeah, yeah, with with Triple Eight, yes. So teamed up with Triple Eight and we roll out the box at one of the biggest events of the year, the Eclipsal 500, and the uh, car was fantastic. I was, I was, I, I literally felt like a passenger. You know, I was just there just trying to, trying to get the most out of the car and, uh, yeah, ran third on the Saturday and then won on the Sunday and won the, won the Eclipsal 500. So it was a fairy tale start to... Um, to, to, to my to my journey with um, with with Triple Eight Racing. Remember this young guy, Jamie Wincup, sends the four fans into a frenzy. Wincup wins for the first time. What does winning do when you're trying to make your way? Uh, that's that's everything. You know, you're. <laughs> but the bit, there's a, a common saying in motorsport: you're only as good as your last race. Yeah, and it's and it's so true. You have a win, and you are the. You're, you're hot property. You're the you're the man of the moment, you know. And you you don't quite get it right the next time, and all of a sudden, oh no, he's no good. He probably we probably need to move him on. So you're only as good as your as your current form and your current performance. So winning was huge for me back then, and that that uh, that started to cement that hey, I had uh, I, I had I had longevity if uh, if I was given the opportunity. 
one of those things not talked about in motor racing. Let's not talk figures, Jamie. But and it's everyone always says to me when you work in Formula One, oh, do they get paid like extra if they win a Formula One race? And it's pretty complex, but basically they do. Do, do you get paid extra away from the team if you win a V8 Supercar race? Like, do V8 Supercars pay you, or is it just part of your contract? And there's there's wins written into that. We're not talking figures here, just how it actually works, mate. Yeah. So now it's all appearance money. Every car on the grid gets the same amount of money through Supercar, and uh, at the moment um, the the team. The teams own 30%. So basically, if you look at the, the profit from supercars for the year, the teams own 30%. Divide that by 24 cars, there's the there's the appearance money to go racing. As far as drivers and also any any team member, that's all that's all got to do with the contract with the team. You know, okay. and some teams might offer um, performance money, some teams might not. It's a, that's completely up to up to the teams. But um, I'm a big fan of. Um, of of perform you know rewarding rewarding good performance within the team you know um um having a having a profit share or something in in um like my car wash business I'll run a I'll run a decent profit share because I want uh, I want I want the team to be rewarded for when we go well I also want them to feel the pain for when we don't go well if mm. we if we make a if we make an error and we crash a car or we make a reckless mistake then we we're all going to hurt you know we're all going to we're all going to feel the pain of it uh, but we're also we're all going to feel the, the the joy of a win so keep everyone on the same uh, the same journey How's a car wash business go? It goes really good. Yeah, really it? good. It's, it sounds strange, doesn't it? That um, um, de- developing and innovating a car wash business, but it's automotive. Yep. The car wash uh, industry works really well for me because it's a good mix of, um, of um, you know, cars, cars, and but then that engineering side also. There's, the books I read and the shows I watch, if you want to launder money, they always say in the trade to own a coin laundry or a car wash business. So you're not, you're not running some dodgy taxes through the whole thing, are you? I, I must be the biggest idiot in, in the country because I, I run no cash. Right. I'm, I'm all credit cards. So, oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, everyone said, yeah, great, great cash business. I'm like, oh, well, actually, I'm not doing any cash. So, yeah, I'm, I'm miss, I'm, maybe I missed a trick there. But, but, but I, sleep, I sleep at night, though. Good, so it's good, a, it's good, a good trade-off. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> So then you go on that incredible run with Lounsey. You win Bathurst three times in a row, 06, 07, 08, that you are heavily, heavily involved in. But the way the team is working at this stage in some really close races, how are you watching in 2006 when you hand the car over to Craig, Rick Kelly is on Craig's hammer and there's always a cutaway shot of the co-driver and there's Winkup. How's he actually feeling when his first Bathurst is within reach yeah. but it's not there? Yeah. What's it like watching? Yeah, well, that 2006, that was a, that was a unique scenario. So normally, normally you'd be, you'd be crazy nervous and just, just parent, worrying or paranoid about the unknown. You know, that's the normal scenario. But that didn't happen in 06. That wasn't the case. Craig again just cranking a little sideways. Is he knocking the rear tyre condition around? These two guys are putting extreme pressure on each other. Normally it's Lowndes, the man who's applying the pressure to other people. It's the tables are being turned on him now. Like, there was, I don't know, I'm not, a, as I said, I'm not a spiritual person. I, I don't believe that there's some someone controlling the world or there's some force from, from within, but... That day, it, it was our, it was ours, you know, and everything that happened that day, I, there was this massive belief that we were going to win that race, you know. So what, tying in with the whole Brock situation, with the whole Brock situation, and um, Bev Brock coming in the garage, you know, with a couple of hours to go and go, this one, this one's yours. 
there was just a huge anything that could have could have gone wrong didn't didn't go wrong. Anything could that needed to go right just went right. Everything was so fluid and so so happening that if by the end of the day it was it we, we, we had this massive belief that we, we were going to win the race, you know, and so it was actually quite calm and I just knew that Lounsey was going to do what he always does and puts in his best performance on the in the last stint of, uh, of the biggest race of the year and that's exactly what happened. We had the belief and um, we crossed the line and crazy emotional day for, um, for, for Lounsey. This weekend has been all about farewelling the great man, Peter Brock, the friend and mentor to Craig Lowndes. This will be a huge outpouring of emotion. Ten years in the waiting. Lowndes and Wincup do it. That is an incredible moment. Fantastic race. job, mate. Unbelievable. And Campbell Little is in tears. You can imagine. And Wincup fist pumping on the wall. Lowndes has done it on the day he farewelled his friend. You know, it was it was my first Bathurst, but really I was I was there for CL because I knew what he was going through. I knew how much it meant to him. Um, and I, I couldn't have been prouder of being part of or put, you know, doing my part in getting Lounsey that win in, in 06. So what's it mean to be a Bathurst winner? Uh, it's huge. You don't realise it. You, you stand, I stood on the top step of the podium in, in 06, and, but, yep, we've, we've, we've won Bathurst. You, you don't realise what it means, you know, but, but you certainly do over the next 12 months. There's thousands of model cars that you sign. There's memorabilia. There's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes on with being a being a Bathurst winner, which is um, which is really cool. It, it just makes you hungry. Just makes you hungry for more. So, um, I, you don't. I didn't, probably didn't realise until we went to Bathurst in 07 how much it actually the win means. You know, so uh, very grateful to be on the on the on the Peter Brock Trophy, certainly for the first time. And in 2007, Craig Lowndes and Jamie Winkup, they have done the double. A three-peat for Team Vodafone, Craig Lowndes and Jamie Winker. You're a legend, mate. You're a legend. That is the end of Jamie Wincup Part A. See you on pole for Part B. Listener.